I don't want to poke. I don't want to poke that bear. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I know the ontological bear. <laughs> ontological word of the day. Here we are Ooh. under the bar podcast via Zoom, as we do. I'm sure, Rawdon, we've been meaning to sign up to the Pro Zoom. They keep telling me we've only got 40 minutes of recording time each time we do it. Oh, um, that's bullshit! Yeah, I just thought we're going to record anyway. I'll keep that 40 minutes up my sleeve so I can uh, hmm. keep Rawdon in check time. Ah, yes, yes, mm. yes. Well, you know. I am uh, I'm well versed in the art of polywaffle. <laughs> uh, once those juices start to flow, it's uh, it's a heavy it's a heavy flow, Tommy. Mm. Once the polywaffle flows, there's no stopping me. So yeah, I, I appreciate the uh, the thought, and I'm on board. Now, in the desperate grasp to keep producing content during the the COVID nineteen <laughs> <laughs> oh, lockdown, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've I've been through some of the old files, Rod, and I'm I'm mm. sure you know. The UTB listener out there that, that that they hear the finished product and they probably assume that uh, assume. this is you know that this is easy for us and this is just what we do. But that, what what they don't understand <laughs> is is how much audio content is on the cutting room floor. So 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 much of it. But I have been back through some of the old files and I found an old Luke Tullock interview that we ah. had done in the Millennium Noggin covering the Matador study. And this was a really ah, good yes. conversation. And I, I don't know what mm. was going on in my brain at, at the time that we did <laughs> it, but we haven't put it to wear, so we get to put it to wear today. Well, that, that one, and there's, uh, of course, the uh, Lyle McDonald, the ill-fated uh, Lyle <laughs> McDonald recording. Yes. That, um, if, if we did actually release that one, I mean, this is about Luke today, but, but uh, if we did actually put the Lyle McDonald one up, he'd probably tell us to take it down. You know, mm. so it's, it's forever going to be in the archives on, on the cutting room floor but yes um, but that, but that was that was juicy that one as well it was a cracker of a uh an interview on the physiology of fat loss and he, and he i think it was his his greatest work but potentially the best podcast interview he's ever done so much so he contacted me a couple of weeks after so i really want to get that one up um when's it going to be up and obviously our, our, our regular listeners will know that uh, ended in tears and that um I never got to see the light of day, but uh, but Luke's is going up, and I'm excited about that. Yes, mate, that that was actually a really good interview with with Lyle McDonald. Yeah. And remember, that was around about that time that you and I had to go up to Queensland and do um, oh, yeah. that. Uh, we did like it was a two or three day fat loss yeah. training camp. Yep. 
and I listened <laughs> to uh, that Lyle McDonald interview on the plane on the way up there because I was <laughs> oh <laughs> I was God. giving a talk on the on the physiology oh. of fat loss. Mike. Well, yeah, you had you had twenty four hours to learn the slides. That's so right. Why yeah. the problem, in, in true clean health fashion. Yeah, absolutely. And all of a sudden, my slides became very much like a, a Lyle McDonald interview <laughs> that no one will yes. ever hear. <laughs> yes, lucky. I just remember that. <laughs> I just remember that when I was up the back of the class, and um, <laughs> and I think there was because they were quite a savvy crowd. Like the, these guys that came to this um, mm. three day sort of workshop, they were. I think we had about twelve to fifteen. Was it? Or I think so. Yeah. that many? And they were reasonably switched on, and they were expecting a pretty. I mean, Yanev, Stefan Yanev was supposed to be up there, and he, and maybe it was Stefan and Jane that was supposed to be up there, and then they sent us two up there, and we're there yeah. like, oh. And I remember, I, remember, <laughs> I think someone asked the question, and they were like, oh, that's, that's a good question. I'm like, what are your thoughts on that? You know, <laughs> and you're yeah, yeah. answering questions with questions. Question. Some of your best work. Absolute, some of my best work. I mean, that's <laughs> those kind of environments is where uh, the witch doctory really, oh, you know, really yes. took off. And I really, if you think about it, that was probably your disdain and, and um, you know, ill feelings after doing seminars. It probably stemmed from that very first seminar that you're forced into all, all those years ago. Yeah, there's some sort of deep subconscious yeah. negative neuroassociation with, with <laughs> seminars. Unhappy cells. Mate, one of the things that we're talking about with Luke today is actually refeeds and cheat meals. And yep. uh, that's another thing that I haven't, when I think back to it, I probably haven't played around with too much since those days either. And we can unpack, uh, well, in the interview with Luke, he will unpack. And I think you, you give your thoughts on, on refeeds mm. and cheat meals as well. But certainly for me now, it's all just about constant, steady, yes. let's keep it smooth, let's keep it automatic mm. let's, and create a sustainable eating style mm. yeah and i think he eats sort of um and i think that's heavily probably influenced with our time with broderick had long longer slower steady you know nothing mm. too aggressive or extreme but uh the refeed certainly can alter body composition and actually scale weight and we we're talking about scale weight uh, before we we went to air and mm. they are that's one of the things that can actually see a drop in scale weight you know you load up on calories and then for some magical reason you wake up the next day and you're actually lighter or if you are heavier then you know a day or two later you know it's boom the body weight comes back down once the uh the glycogen is depleted down a little bit but um and and the whole body weight and and, and tracking body weight i wanted to sort of get your thoughts on that because there are and our listeners would know a lot of coaches and maybe some of them actually do this they you know, I'll see readily over the course of a you know a week or two. There's always someone getting a pair of scales and yeah, hitting it with a hammer or throwing it in the in the bin or something like that. You know, suggesting that you don't want to obsess or or obsess. I agree, but maybe not. Maybe obsessing is not not a bad thing. But understanding, you know, what's actually happening and perhaps not hinging progress on whether you get a change in scale weight might be the actual a good way to look at it. But um, but I certainly. I love tracking the, the scale weight data and I, and I, and I really do think it's an invaluable um, part of the whole process of, of physique preparation for me, whether it's in a hypertrophy specific phase where I'm you know, trying to drive the body weight up a little or a fat loss specific phase where I am ultimately looking for that scale weight change over time to reflect the reduction in body fat over time and, um, and, you know, not letting it drop too much. So that's going to give me information about whether I'm retaining muscle mass, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're, if you're not tracking it, then I really don't know 
yeah. you know, how, how, how do you know that you're that you are progressing in the right direction? And beyond, you know, I still encourage visually, you know, how clothes are fitting, how they look when they're training, you know, what are they look like first thing in the morning, these types of things. So I certainly do uh, suggest they track all that, and, and obviously check-in picks are, are great to gauge progress. But um, but I think the the scale weight is a, a, a crucial part of the whole process. What are your um, what are your thoughts mm. on that? Because there's lots of things we'll, we'll quickly touch on that can influence it mm. that, that, are, that is interesting. Mate, look, I think tracking scale weight is a critical thing to do. And what I like to do at the start is actually just disassociate from any acute fluctuations and make sure that we're all on the same page, that it's going to go up and down and all over the place within the course of yep. the week, that what we're looking for is trends over time. And yep. it's really interesting when you've been working with a person for a long period of time and, you know, maybe you've got a couple of years worth of skin folds and they might have been through different periods of dieting and, and you know, more increased calories. Yeah. And it's nice to be able to go back and see, well, when you were at this scale weight two years ago, your sum of 14 was this and that. So it's mm-hmm. nice to see those trends over time. And it's also nice to know if you are applying or manipulating energy deliberately after two to four weeks, you get a nice idea of what's going on. Certainly you should be able to predict what's going on or what should happen with the scales based off what you're doing with your energy. And it gives you an idea of how compliant they've been and all that sort of stuff (laughs) on an acute level. I do like to check it at the start of workouts, particularly with females. So that if you know, if their chin ups are feeling sticky or their dips are feeling sticky, on a particular day, it can quite easily be because they're a kilo heavier because a kilo to a female doing a chin up is quite a lot of yeah, difference. So, so it's nice to kilos or something, yeah. Yeah, so it's nice to know whether it's scale weight from a, a performance perspective, also. Yeah, wow, I've never, I never even thought about that, but absolutely, if they're mm. like, and certainly if they're going, they have a healthy menstrual cycle, and some do get huge weight fluctuations. Um, yeah, certainly in that uh, that last couple of weeks before they start the cycle in that luteal and late luteal phase after that day 14 and then they start getting the cramps and the cravings and the fluid retention mm. so absolutely um it would yeah I, I didn't even think of that it'd be much harder even if you think about like walking lunges or split squats if they're a couple of kilos heavier that's an extra yeah. couple of kilos like uh you know you actually hit a pr on the uh on the uh, split squat because they actually had two kilos of water weight but but I completely agree that um, that it is great to have that data and be able to sort of see trends over time. But I also fully understand the fluctuations in, in, in body weight and thinking about all the different things that can, can actually influence it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, if you take just one reading a week, then that might not actually be an accurate reading of what's actually happened throughout the week. So if you do actually take more readings then you're going to have a more accurate reflection on what the actual trend is and just average mm. it out. And that's, that's actually what I um, do with the guys and girls that I'm coaching. We, we track it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, and then we divide it out by, by four. But even if I go to review their nutrition and they are in a fat loss or a hypertrophic phase and I'm looking for some change in scale weight and the scale weight is actually the same as what it was the week prior or it hasn't moved much, I look back and even though they send me the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, I look at the, sometimes I'll add them all up, you know, all yeah. seven and then divide and then divide it by seven and see if it is actually down. And you, you know, if, if I don't know what numbers you look for, but if it is, you know, trending upward or downward, any you know, 250 to 500 grams of change a week is a, is a good ballpark figure to look for depending on um, what you're actually doing in that environment. But 
you know, so you're not actually looking. It's you know, you're going from 56 to uh, you know 55.7, and that's a that's a that's a that's all you're after. That's that's a good drop. You know, mm. I think they want kilos and kilos off in a week, and it's like, well, no, that is probably we're dropping some muscle mass if that is the case. So, so I think the um, definitely getting those averages is a big help, and being mm. aware that certainly with the females, the menstrual cycle can you know that can influence things dramatically and you know the reality is for some females that that are tracking these things that they might actually get an accurate reading you know once or twice a month you know at that same time you know what i mean like yes. when they're not having the fluid retention so you know you got to take that into consideration but i think that the the fundamental is if they're still they've set everything up and you're you have you are actually in a deficit then you're still actually dropping body fat uh, independent of seeing changes on the the scale weight, you know, because that is driven by fluid retention and, you know, other things that can influence it, as you're well aware, Tommy, you know, particularly yes. heavy sodium meals that can throw out the electrolytes so you might have more fluid to balance out a highly, um, an environment that has a high level of sodium. It's going to need more water to dissipate and um, get the right homeostasis if you've had a, you know, a big influx of, of sodium and that could be like a pizza or something like that. So you might find that you're, you're holding more fluid or the body weight goes up quite significantly when you have had something that's that's just had more sodium in it. So that'd be one thing that could easily influence it. You know, things like having a carb up, you know, will obviously radically influence it with potentially with a, uh, a storage of glycogen. And it can go the other way where you might actually see, you know, they've been dieting for a while and that refeed, like you mentioned, might actually um, trigger a, a reduction in stress hormones and then they can actually get a drop of uh, uh, cortisol and, and and that could influence less fluid retention. And Lyle McDonald's reference him again talks about that some connection with cortisol in the aldosterone receptor and you know uh, stimulating the whole fluid. Yes. And then the, the reduction in cortisol can actually see a, a drop of water uh, water weight. So you can actually eat more, have a refeed, and then you wake up lighter and and you've dropped a lot of water and you got a lot more definition. So that could be that could be going on as well. High high stress environment that's typically associated with dieting that could also influence water weight. And again, Lyle talks about that swoosh that happens, you know, it's usually four to four to six weeks of dieting and you don't really see any change in scale weight. Then all of a sudden, you know, there's this uh, couple of day period where you'll drop the water weight and you'll see, you know, two to three to kilo drop in potentially in scale weight. And then, you know, the hard work is then evident and it's something to do he feels with, um, you know, as the, the triglycerides or fats are mobilized from adipose tissue, water replaces it. So you're actually the same weight. Like mm. Fats get burnt, but then water replaces it. And eventually, for whatever reason, this water lets go and you, you then drop the scale weight. So that could be happening. That could be a reason why you're dieting and not seeing any changes. And again, it's if you've set the environment up right and you've got the numbers right and they are actually sticking to things as they're doing the work, they can't get from A to B and do the training and hit their steps and do everything they're doing and not require energy to do it. So as long as everything's been set up, then, you know, independent of that scale weight change, you are still going to be getting progress. But, um, and you will, like you said, see an average change over time. It's the initial drop. Okay, that might take a while, but then you're going to see this trend play out over time. But if you certainly just took it like um, over one week or, you know, you might be uh, sorely disappointed. But um, And then there's, yeah. you know, just been dehydrated. 
Um, transit time, you know, if you haven't been in the toilet, that can affect scale weight. You know, what's your fiber intake like? You gotta keep an eye on that. Poor sleeping patterns can also influence scale weight. So really take your pick in regards to things that are meal timings. If you push all your meals yeah. back a little bit, then you got more food in the digestive system. You wake up and you're a bit heavy. Oh my God, I've gone up. It's like, well, yeah, just it's because you're off on your meals and everything's a little bit behind. That's all. So I think sort of comprehending all those things and, um, but then getting that data. No, that's great, mate. That's a great list of factors to take into account there. And in fact, when we, when we start talking with Luke, which we'll get to in just a brief moment, uh, our first topic was actually adaptive thermogenesis. And he did go into uh, the, the, the role of body weight and mass that that has mm. the influence over that process. That'll be really interesting. And what I will just do before we go to him is just read the abstract from the because that's all I do with studies. Yes, yeah, just, yeah. just the with the matter. Study, yep. Yeah, just to give this just a little bit of context because uh, we didn't a really. Spice. Basically, the background is the Matador minimizing adaptive thermogenesis and deactivating obesity rebounds. This study Ooh. examined whether intermittent energy restriction improved weight loss efficiency compared with continuous energy mm. restriction, and if so whether intermittent energy restriction attenuated compensatory responses associated with energy restriction. So that's yeah, the just, rebound. Yeah. And, and I think Lukey will give us a bit of a, an overview of what it actually was, but that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, he will do that justice. I won't bother yep. laboring that point, but, um, but it was interesting. There were a lot that did jump on the, um, the Matador uh, freight train that was bearing down on everyone else. And, um, use that to, to really sell home the, the diet breaks and yes. that type of stuff. But, uh, I mean, the catch is it's, you'll get, but you got a little bit more fat loss, but it took you twice as long. So mm-hmm. it depends how long you want to actually diet for, whether you want to get to your, where you want to go sooner rather than later, I guess as well. But yeah. I guess individual to individual, it might have validity. Mate, it really, really seems like no matter how you want to cut it and slice it and dice <laughs> it, you end up with the same piece of cake. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Not that there's anything wrong with cake. I yeah, mean, cake, no. having cake and eating it is, uh, is, is an absolute delight. Oh, yes, of course. Cam can hit us with a, hit us with a sting. Well, it's been a while since we've spoken about refeed. Uh, mm. Meals the controversial on the podcast, Rodan. Uh, well, cheat meals. Do we need to relive some of those wonderful cheat meals that I had back in the day? <laughs> when we used to have to get people ring up and uh, tell us theirs. That was cool. Uh, yes, I guess uh, back in the day you were at various cycles mm. of pushing the, the limits of your fat loss from Monday to Friday and mm. then exploring the, the limits of yes. your eating one capacity. Step forward, one step back. Saturday through Sunday. Homeostasis. <laughs> Very good uh, at that. Lucid Luke is back in the studio. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. How you going? Very Otherwise well. known as the, the wheelie. The ground. Keeper, really. That's it. So before we get into the various uh, meat te- and nuts techniques around refeeding, length of time, um, oh, well, whether maybe maybe they're not even needed. Maybe Tom. they're not even needed based off the context of your planning, the length of time you're working with. Can we cover the? This is in the context of adaptive thermogenesis. Mm. Let's break down what that terminology actually means and put that into some context. And the, and this is also for our listeners, you know, someone that's uh, has uh, dieting for a set end goal. So we're, we're looking at trying to get the low uh, body fat percentages. Mm. So applicable for Gen Pop, but probably you know a more 
uh, aggressive approach for um, a physique competitor or something like that. But it's all the same. Yeah, same much. umbrella. Yeah. Same principles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Well, so adaptive thermogenesis, basically uh, our energy expenditure, our basal metabolic rate is really tied to your body mass, how yes. big you are, right? How much weight you got. Um, and so we can basically predict with a pretty good amount of accuracy, if you are this particular size, your basal metabolic rate should be about this for your for your gender. Um, so that works quite well, but we find that when people start dieting and they lose their body mass and we go to recalculate what their maintenance energy might be, it doesn't match up with their actual uh, energy expenditure. Right. And so their actual energy expenditure seems to drop a little bit more than what we would have predicted based yes, on their, their body weight. May, mass yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. yeah, exactly. So we call that adaptive thermogenesis. In other words, uh, thermogenesis is production of heat, which is your energy expenditure, and adaptive being that energy expenditure is adapting because now you're, uh, you're eating less, less, you're yeah. consuming less, and your body is trying to basically conserve a little bit, right? So okay. your energy expenditure goes down more than we would have predicted based on your body size. And this is typical, um, any fat loss scenario, this, yes. this will, now some individuals might experience it sooner rather than later, but, yep. but across the board, if you're in an energy deficit of some description, then this concept of adaptive thermogenesis, adapting to that uh, new energy intake mm. or closer to it will, will occur in time. 100%. Mm. How long that time is, that may vary, yep. but it will eventually occur. And, and and that makes perfect sense, Tommy, because um, survival mechanism, you know, if we, yes. we mm. eat under, we don't just, you know, in a, in a, in a six months time, drop dead because we've used all our body fat. I mean, the body adapts, that's what it does. Mm. Yeah, 100%. So this, this occurs in everybody, no matter what. It's a normal reaction yeah. to yeah. having less now, energy. Now, wait intake. a second. This isn't metabolic uh, damage, is it? <laughs> Are you saying it's yeah. metabolic adaptation? It's metabolic adaptation. Oh. And it's reversible. It's entirely reversible. Thought? You don't need a reverse diet for it. Who would so, have okay. thought? There you go. So just to be clear, two people with the same sex, the same height, the same age, and the mm-hmm. same body mass, mm-hmm. but with different energy intakes yep. will have a different level of thermogenesis. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Based so, off the, the energy. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. Uh, available. Yeah, mm. yeah, you have two eighty kilo people, like one one person's actually dieted down from eighty five. Yep. Uh, his predicted energy expenditure would be the same as a person who's always eighty kilos, but when we actually measure them, it turns out that they're different. The guy who's lost a bit of weight, it's actually lower than what we what we yeah. predicted. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Mm. I like it. Okay. So where do we go from here? <laughs> well, what, what are we going to cover? How do we combat adaptive thermogenesis? Can we combat it? Can we yeah, reduce I, how much that occurs? Actually, before we go there, let, let, let's go. Let's just push balls deep into mm. adaptive thermogenesis sure. uh, a little. So what actually constitutes it? Because there's thyroid implications there. There's, I think, movement efficiency. Yeah, uh, there's a lot that goes into it. So we've spoken a bit main, about like leptin signaling before as well. And that's yep. kind of like the granddaddy at the top of all of this stuff. Yep. But um, essentially, there's a whole bunch of... Um, mechanisms through which your body yes. tries to conserve energy and yeah. so it, it you know you might move around a little bit less you might you know the neat thing yeah. uh, but you're also becoming a little bit more efficient with some movements yep. uh you know maybe extracting a little bit more energy from your food all that kind of stuff and and then also fundamentally slightly 
uh, I mean, fat mass still has an energy demand, like so that would oh, be sure. slightly less energy. That would be there. slightly less, yeah. And then also another one that everyone sort of forgets is um, basal metabolic rate is made up a decent chunk of thermic effect of food. We're eating less and less, yeah, less food, yeah, so there's less energy there. So there's, mm. you know, several mechanisms as to why we actually. Uh, yeah, and it might you know energy. it might be like ten calories here and ten calories yeah. there, but it's all these little things that add up, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh well, I'm actually. Uh, expending like 100 or 200 calories less than I thought I would be. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I think this gets um, magnified in, in, in contest prep. And, yeah. you know, you, you really, you, know, you point it out to the athlete, you know, you see them start of the start of the prep, you know, they're, they're coming, they're bouncing off the walls, you know, they start yeah. dieting and towards the end, you know, you, you're chatting with them and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're slumped. Uh, body language is just conserving. I mean, just, yeah. you know, they're leaning on the table, you know, head uh, in the hand, hand holding the head up, like even that you know, all day long. I mean, exactly. That's going to burn a ton less energy. So it's mm. really, you know, that's why with, with my athletes, and I know it's a pain and they all sort of curse me and, you know, like the, the, the step count, but just the, mm. their, their world, like keep their world static. You know, if you, yep. if, if you walk to the bus, you walk to the bus for the whole whole prep. You know, if you if you this is your activity now, then it needs to be your activity every day. Yeah. You know, because um, you know, you you all. I think it's a conscious and subconscious as well. That's all the subconscious stuff, all the body language. You know, you just slump and you know get a wheelchair and, and <laughs> roll yourself around all day. It's like, mm. well, you're doing that at the start of the prep. I don't remember <laughs> you're in a wheelchair, but then. Uh, then consciously as well, like you, you so subconscious and conscious, you make decisions yes. not to go up the stairs. You make decisions, couldn't be asked to, to go pick the groceries up, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, yep. do a big shop on the weekend For sure. where you used to do it every day. So I think it's really important setting up that routine from the get-go and then that stays static. Even to the point you have to, because of adaptive thermogenesis, titrate things up and, and mm. actually in, in, induce more activity, mm. which is what I tend to do as well. But um, Yeah, definitely. And much it, at the, it's a lot of subtle stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, like even just... Uh, leaning on stuff a lot more yeah. you know like, like really small things that you wouldn't think matter mm. but they do yeah yeah, yeah fascinating mm. mm. alright so that's a little bit of insight adaptive things yeah you know so, so then the thought is well look can we sort of um, calorie cycle carbohydrate cycle yep, so like whatever to try and avoid periods. yeah like refeeds to try and ramp up metabolism again uh, because we know what happens with adaptive thermogenesis is as soon as you reduce energy intake Adaptive thermogenesis will kick in. Um, and so as soon as you, like I said before, you don't really need to reverse diet, but as soon as you give people more calories again and they go back up to maintenance, that adaptive thermogenesis reverses really quickly as well. It takes like a couple of weeks, week mm. or two. Um, and so the idea then is like, okay, well, can we use refeeds or something of that nature to limit the effects of adaptive thermogenesis, meaning that we don't have to cut calories as much in the long run for fat loss. We don't have to uh, induce more activity as much in the long run because we're expending more energy at rest. Right. So that's kind of the concept behind trying to limit adaptive thermogenesis with something like a diet break. Mm. And and and, uh, and I guess the the high carb days, low carb, medium carb. That these because mm. so, carbohydrates seem to be the most influential on metabolism. Uh, yeah, it's total probably total energy more so. But yeah, I think you get the, you get greater hormonal benefit from having more carbohydrate. Right. right. So we talked a bit about leptin before being the granddaddy that's kind of uh, you know upstream is controlling all of that like little behavior. Yep. Um, and that's affected the most by your carbohydrate intake. So certainly the amount of energy you're having is a really big uh, influencer, but carbohydrates seem to be the most effective out of all the macronutrients from restoring that balance mm. okay okay very cool um 
So you, you referenced the study at the start? Yeah. You so maybe mention that one for us. Well, they did a really interesting study on basically these people were, uh, it's an Australian study called the Matador study. And I can't remember exactly what it stands for. But basically what they did is they tested uh, diet breaks versus continuous dieting. And so the idea was that they got overweight people. So just so you know the context, it is overweight people. I think they might have even been obese, but yep. I can't remember. Um, and they dieted them for a fairly long time. They provided all of their food for them and then gave them uh, an optional snack just to increase adherence because there was some research showing that, you know, if you give people like, you know, 10% of the calories can come from whatever they want, then they have greater adherence to yeah. a diet. So mm-hmm. that was good. So were you pretty, because uh, I know we've spoken about studies before and you sort of roll your eyes in. Yeah, but they probably didn't factor for this and this, and it's, it's not a very uh, well-constructed study. Was this a decent one in, in your books? This is books? very, like very well run. As far as, um, you know, it's very difficult to run long-term dieting studies. It's yeah. extremely difficult. This one was run extremely well. So this is about as good as you're going to get, aside from having an actual metabolic ward, which yes. is not going to happen for a long period of time. Yeah, That would be the expensive. gold standard. Yeah, yep. uh, That would be the gold standard if you literally locked people in a room and controlled every little variable. Mm. But this is about as good as it's going to get. So we can okay. sort of extrapolate, mm, is this exactly what happened? Mm, maybe there might have been some misreporting, but it, sure. the, 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 the research is fairly decent. We can draw a few. Yeah, pretty good. So basically, these uh, the participants had to weigh themselves constantly, and they were given a scale by the researchers. Like, they right. gave them the same scale. Yep. Um, you know, they had a, the same schedule. They delivered all of their meals to them. So it wasn't yep. even a case of some guy going, ah, couldn't be fucked going picking up the meals. Yep. I'll just get takeout. They yep. delivered it to their door. You know, it was really well run. And basically the way the setup was, was we had one group dieting for four months straight. 16 weeks, yeah. Just continuous at a 33% calorie deficit. And we had the other group. Decent. Yeah, it was pretty good. So the other group was doing two weeks uh, at a 33% deficit and then two weeks at maintenance. Two okay. weeks at a 33% deficit, two weeks at maintenance. And they just alternated until they hit 16 total weeks of being in a deficit, which meant yep. it obviously took them twice, twice as, as long. long. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the outcome of it. So the idea is basically that the researchers justified the, the two weeks on and two weeks off by saying, oh, look, it takes about two weeks for us to reach adaptive thermogenesis based on some previous research. And then it takes about two weeks for us to, receive, to see adaptive thermogenesis uh, diminished again by having maintenance. So that's why that, how they justify two weeks on and two weeks off. Mm-hmm. Right. That's why they used that time period. Yeah. Um, and then they, I think Lyle's sort of along that, you know, two yeah. to four week. Yeah. Don't quote me on that, but but um, his there's longer absolute minimum one week to have exactly. But yeah. yeah, that longer period. Yeah. So um basically what they did there was uh and and throughout the study they kept adjusting the deficit based on their new body weight. So basically the deficit started becoming like less in absolute calories because like let's say you started at 100 kilos and you've lost 10 kilos, uh, you know, by week eight or whatever it's it is. 33% of 90. They're then they're taking 33% of 90 instead yep. of from mm, your 100, yep. right? So the deficit was always 33% the entire way through and the maintenance was recalculated every single time they went back to the maintenance phase. So it was always adjusted based on their current body weight, okay. which is why they gave them the scales. That's important to note for yeah. uh, later in the conversation. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Um, so the cool thing about all of this was basically that the group who did the intermittent, the sort of diet-breaking approach. The fancy schmance The approach. fancy one. So they both lost the same amount of weight. The uh, the group that did the intermittent approach uh, lost more fat and less uh, lean mass, um, and which was a great result in itself. But mm. then what they did is they followed them up again six months later. And they went back and they interviewed all of the participants and weighed them all again. 
all of the people who did the continuous 16 weeks straight of dieting had basically put on all of the weight that they had lost again. The group that had done the diet breaking throughout, most of them had put back on weight, but they actually hadn't put it all back on. So uh, that sort of amplified the fat loss by the end of you know, that six month follow up. So after a year, they still had a greater fat loss um, than when they started. So quite interesting. So, Mm. I mean, it it seems to give a big tick to the, uh, to the diet break approach. However, as we said before, Mm. it took twice as long. Twice as long. And I think the, the, the rebound thing at the end, you know, 16 weeks dieting or 32 weeks, like structured doing something. What's going to give you better habits? 100%. Yes, thirty-two weeks. Hundred percent. You know what I mean. So, man, I take that with a grain of salt in regards to better long-term fat loss. But yeah, but interesting. Um, but but generally, that's even before seeing that study, you would say something like, "Well, if we've got a long-term fat loss, then mm. we can take our time." Whether I'll do it like that would be debatable. But um, but you would sort of think that you could, you yeah. know, stretch it out and, and be not as aggressive. So, so what are your thoughts? Do you think that um, it, it break it down? Like, what do you think? Do you think that was actually well, like with the 16 weeks, was there um, because it was only 33 percent deficit mm. and it just stayed static for the whole mm. 16 weeks. So, you know, did they sort of get the weight loss early on in the first sort of eight weeks and then it stayed the same for the they remaining did, eight? They did like, pretty good. I think they, they lost pretty continuously throughout, obviously, the first period. Uh, is is their biggest loss right for sure um you know so like i think as you said like if you're dieting for a longer period of time it's like you got a longer period to instill those habits you haven't been off the diet for as long as the guys who did four months and then were followed up again you know um all of that type of stuff so i think it's it's an interesting um, approach to it, but this study was really bandied about as like a massive win for diet breaking and all that type of stuff. But, you know, I was actually, I spoke to Lehman and he's like, are you, are you just like unimpressed by that? Like I am? I was like, yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's it, it gives us some insight into, um, you know, what might give better adherence, for example. Like yeah. the reason I use diet breaks um, with general population clients is for adherence. Yeah. Because I can say to him that like, okay, if you diet really hard, I can put you in a 40 or 50% deficit for four weeks. But you know, at the end of that four weeks, I'm giving you two weeks to, to break. Yeah, bro, mm. easy peasy. Then they're going to go really fucking hard uh, and they're going to stick yeah. to it. Yeah. Whereas if I tell them you're going to be dieting for the next four months, it's like, mate, mm. at some point in there, they're going to crack unless there's something yeah. special. You know what I mean? And I think one of the key things is the diet break terminology because it creates a clear distinction between refeed where you mm. might think that this is going to help me accelerate my fat loss by having you know this cheat meal or a weekend of refeeding mm. where that's not necessarily the case whereas a diet break is exactly what it is it's a break from the diet exactly and psychologically that can have massive uh, implications but and it just puts them in clear understanding of what's actually going on yes. here there's no magic you're getting a break from the diet because you know, I don't feel that emotionally you're capable to keep dieting through this whole period of time. So it's going to slow the end result, but it's more sustainable. And, exactly. and this is the reality of what's in front of you. Exactly. It's interesting because, you know, I, being with physique competitors, albeit a shorter time frame, but, you know, some will like the, the diet breaks. So I have a strategic deload week eight and we bring calories. So that will be mm. uh, of sorts of diet break. But, you know, some are like, 
they've got the momentum, you know, they're, mm. they're going, they're, they're each day they're feeling, but then they soften up a little bit, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, you might soften up this week, you know, body comp may go out a little bit, but it'll pay dividends in the coming weeks. Yeah. And then, you know, some really needed and, and, and psychologically, but then ones that were in the zone, like they were killing it, they had the diet break and then they're fluffing all over the place and, and mm. really hard to, yeah. to get back into it. So... Yeah, like for gen pop, absolutely. Yes. But but like for extended breaks in a, you know, that's why I think, you know, a lot of coaches will lean more to those shorter refeed type periods, which I want to talk mm. about in a second, mm. because they are the, the little blip, but they never really take the foot off the gas pedal for that long, just to, just enough to yeah, yeah. perhaps, I, I think we'll elaborate in a second, but um, it probably is just that psychological break. And, and maybe what I yeah. spoke about earlier that, cortisol shifting and, and, and maybe de-stressing the individual and then yes. that, that body comp shift and then visually, boom, you know, mm. all the hard work. Okay, cool. Well, we know you're holding a bit of fluid from all the training and whatnot. So I think those sorts of things would be beneficial. But um, yeah, it's sort of gen pop different, comp prep. Mm. Yeah, well, I think you got to, you got as a coach, you're taking a, a calculated risk, right? Because you're going, if I put this person on a diet break and I'm bringing their calories up, they're not going to lose body fat from that. No. At some point, they're going to have to dye that body fat off again. You yes. know, like so. Do we just push through and get the body fat off, and then you can get the dieting period over with, or do you have these interspersed periods, knowing that, like, well, at some point, you're going to have to diet off this extra energy that you're putting into your body, and it's a calculated risk because by doing that, like you said, you might get a psychological benefit from that that allows them to adhere train, better. It allows them to train harder. Yep. It maybe. Uh, brings their neat up a little bit for the next couple of weeks yep. and then you might end up actually expending more energy uh, and sticking That's to the, the diet better yeah. in the long term and then overall you get to the result in a better way um, you know but it is a calculated risk because you're actually giving them more energy that at the end of the day that's not going to result in fat loss you know mm -hmm. what i mean like some people you know maybe we can sort of transition into the whole refeed thing now but basically some people think that by giving a refeed or giving a diet break, you're magically upregulating the metabolism to the to the point where it's actually going to assist them in losing fat. Yes. Well, let's talk about that because I mean, you mentioned um, leptin at the get go, and, and that seems to be the you know one of the the, the key mediators, if not the mm. in regards to energy expenditure. And you know, if you break that down, and this is simplistic terms, but okay, leptin secreted from fat. Yep, lose fat don't have as much leptin. Yep. Like how, unless that refeed period puts that fat back on, like yes. in, in that mm. case of that week, yep. yeah, they go backwards a little bit. Great, we get more metabolism. Yeah, but that's because you put fat on. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. Know? Yeah, yeah. As soon as you lose that fat off, it's going to go, metabolism is going to go back to where it was. Yeah, you, for sure. You, you know what I mean? So, yeah, let's talk about that, the refeed periods and, and whether that is, because you hear different things in the industry and, and you know, some will claim, you know, certain sort of X amount of days and this and that and, and th this many days at high carb and mm. it'll magically fix leptin levels and then they'll be high thereafter. I mean, if it did have an effect on metabolism and, mm. and, and leptin, it would probably be transient thermic effect of food and that yes. might have some lingering for a day or two and, and not taking the you know, better training, you know, mm. more glycogen stores, train mm. harder. Now that may influence, you know, improved uh, compliance slash body composition after that period. Sure. But um, yeah, what are your thoughts on it having anything meaningful to do with, with metabolism, those, those, those other than psychological and, and training advantage and more neat and, and that type of stuff, mm. but that's physical 
I, honestly, yeah, I think the biggest advantage of having a diet break or a refeed, and I'm not saying that refeeds are bad or anything like that. Like no. certainly having, you know, the, the concept of a cheat meal or a day refeed or something like that is something that you can use, but the benefit Definitely. is almost completely psychological, mm. uh, in my opinion. Like you're not getting much of a change in metabolism. Like you said, okay, it's going to go up a little bit because you're eating more food. Like mm. fancy that. Mm. And then it's just going to go straight back down again because guess what? You're fucking dieting again. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and again, if you're putting calories in, you got to diet that off at some point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so by giving someone a massive refeed or a cheat day, it's like, well, okay, maybe you gave them a day of psychological relief, but you're maybe extending their diet by another week because they got to die that off. And then mm. is that worth the psychological relief when you could have just ed- ended the diet a week early? Mm. You know, so I think in terms of changing your metabolism, it's probably not having a great effect, uh, especially if it's shorter. We've spoken before about people giving, you know, one day, three day, five day, quote unquote, diet breaks. Um, I really think in order to influence that higher order, you know, leptin signaling to mm. then... Uh, make you subconsciously move a bit more, uh, a little bit more peppy, so you're expending a bit more energy, all that type of stuff. You probably need a minimum a week, but probably two. Yeah. Um, and that's why I would prefer, if you're going to do a diet break, do it for two weeks. Um, that's my approach anyway. Mm. And and just to segue, taking a, uh, let's go back in time for a couple of seconds and back mm. to that study. I mean, it was only a 33% deficit and it got recalculated. But for me, that I mean, you hit that after the first few, you know, the first month of dieting, you're going to hit, yep. hit 30. And like, okay, f- f- uh, speeding up metabolic rate, you know, for a 33% deficit. I mean, mm. yeah, you can probably do that in two weeks. But like yep. if you're down, you know, 50, 60% deficit, you know, would that one week actually bring it all the way back up to where you started? Yeah. You know? Like it might have a little bit, but it's... Yeah, you, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Like, it, and that study was on, I think, oh, yeah, exactly. obese people. So they're gonna, obese people. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they, yeah, it was sedentary. Like at most, they they walked three times a week, something mm, like that. Yeah. I think that was the uh, the uh, the criteria for the study. You know, so it's certainly not reflective of the type of clientele mm. that most of us might see. We had a little conversation about this the other week, Rodan, and, and it's um, I think the allure of the refeed can be in the apparent magic of what's going on in that 12 that to 24 hours w- yes. when you're doing it. You know, if you are reasonably lean and you've been training hard and, you you know, you have those carbohydrates on the Saturday morning, you fill out, you know, the veins start pumping, mm. the muscles swell up, the skin feels tighter and, mm-hmm. you know, you really... Dick d- skin. Yeah, it, dick skin. It, it feels... It feels like you know you're so hyper aware of what's going on with your physiology, and you learn a few things, and that's that's nice to experience. But in the wash, it's still the end result will be the end result with the set amount of calories evenly dispersed or loaded into small windows. But it, you're right; it, it's psychological, and it provides uh, a little bit of zest or something that yep. you that you can construe as magic muscle gain and fat loss in uh, 12, 12 uh, hours outside mm-hmm. of that that potentially that that water shift from from a from a, a, yeah. a reduced yeah. uh, stress period for sure Definitely. um what about um like a metabolic flexibility you hear mm. hear this sort of thrown around thoughts on that like is there any any method to the madness and and I'm not saying it's madness, but just that term mm. to having, you know, that staggered sort of calories over the week and week and, and carbohydrates at, at varying amounts and like super low for a couple or is, and we've discussed this, or is it more, you know, just the fact that you've totaled at the seven days, how much average deficit, 
like does it just mm. work out like that where you were 400 down yeah. on average for the day so that's if you just did 400 down and kept sort of carbs a constant the whole week it would give you a, a similar result i mean yeah i think you know the metabolic flexibility thing is an interesting one and, and the main application i see it in is probably like endurance sports to be perfectly honest um i, I don't think for physique trainees that's really a big deal like so for anyone who doesn't know metabolic flexibility is basically your ability to either utilize carbohydrate as a fuel mm. source or utilize fat as a fuel source and so yep. ideally you should be able to be equally comfortable switching between the two of those um what happens is when you eat a lot of carbohydrate you get better at burning carbohydrate yep. and when you eat less carbohydrate and have fat available you get better at burning fat as a fuel as a yep. fuel and so you know the idea behind say dietary uh, fat stored well, body fat well, both, both but obviously if the calories are the same you're going to have more dietary fat, fat. to burn through mm-hmm. and so okay. in terms of fat loss it's not necessarily going to result in a better fat loss result it, sure. it would still come back to total deficit It'd still come down to total deficit cool right. um you know so but the idea is that if we're manipulating the amount of carbs you're getting on certain days you might be able to remain more metabolically flexible in other words you can kind of choose which fuel source to use and then yep. people have sort of extrapolated that to say well yeah maybe you're better at burning uh, fat now so you're going to reduce your body fat more and you're going to be better at utilizing those carbs so when you get them you're going to be really good at using them in the gym or whatever it is to be honest i'm not that convinced by that argument i it sounds I, compelling though it, it does reasonable. sound compelling but like for me i i come back to the personality of the person i'm coaching yeah and like if it was me I want to know what I'm doing every day when I wake up. Yes. I don't want to be like looking at a fucking spreadsheet going like, oh, okay, I got to cook different meals today and I got to, you know, time yes. everything differently and like yes. I've got a completely different meal plan to follow now. But then tomorrow it's going to change again. And then yes. like, I just want to be on the same thing. Mm. And I still come back to weekly deficit. I think that's going to be overall, the biggest takeaway is going to be your weekly deficit, which again is if you're spending you know, six days in a deficit and then you fuck it up with a big cheat day at the end of the week. It's mm. like, well, you're just going to have to do another week of dieting to get rid of all of that, you know, extra energy Dude, that like, you put in. I mean, Tom, Tom will <laughs> cast your mind back to where we used to <laughs> work. <laughs> but I uh, remember when I was doing it and you used to assess me on the Saturday yeah. and uh, we would sort of be early, you know, before we set up for Strongman <laughs> and uh, we would trudge in and take my picks. And <laughs> I think it was 10% on the diet for about a month. 10.1%. Uh, 10.1%. Couldn't get under 10%, but... And then, you know, I'd sort of go off in a huff and a puff, you know, but but you knew full well that I was just, you know, this weekend reprieve, which mm. which my coach said I could do. Eh, maybe I didn't elaborate to what extent I was doing. Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, go for it. You know, have a bit of this, bit of that one. Yeah, cool. Bit of this, bit of that. No worries. And um, yeah, I was just putting on that much body fat and, mm. and just this this inflammation. It would, I would just be like, yeah. and it would take almost up until when I saw Tom the following weekend and, you know, trudge out of there again and repeat the process <laughs> like yeah. I do. But yeah so what you can do in a day trust me is uh well truly you can put yourself back and it was really funny the first time i i mean i'll name names dane actually that's how i I ended up meeting dane and and going on to work for for dane at clean health you know he coached me Mm. and um uh this was for 2000 and i might add for our listeners 2010 actually and i got second Mm. When I did it myself, I go, I got first. Yeah, you know, I just want to <laughs> clarify that, but I got second. <laughs> you know, opens up, a bit tougher lineup, but but anyway, he, uh, I'd been dieting, dieting, and and you know things were tough back then, and um, and he sort of said, yeah, man, yep, well, you've earned it. You can have a you can have a cheat meal, Rodden. I went, what, what do you mean? Like I can just eat whatever. He goes, yep, go, yep, gluten free, dairy free, but go for it. So I did it, and um, I think I went in on the the Monday or the Tuesday, and he assessed me, and he's like fuck man what did you do on the weekend and i said well dude you said i could eat whatever i mean i had a bit of this bit of that and i 
And yeah, he was mind-boggling, you know, to what I could do in a... In a, <laughs> a it was only one meal, bro. Yeah. It was one, one sitting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think it was the Pollock rules, okay? What yeah. you can fit on one table, so it was like a long yeah. table. And I was, yeah. the hands one dining out, table like, oh, to yourself. He said, he said I could do whatever, so... <laughs> uh, it was just, I think, really calorie-dense, lots of fats and, and nut butter and, and chocolates. Yeah. And all gluten-dairy-free, I might add. Yeah, very good. Mm. But, um, yeah, so for me, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, for me, yeah, it totally. Work. Yeah, um, you know, so as as far as like the metabolic flexibility thing, I mean, I don't really buy it too much. Like, I haven't seen anything in the research that thus yet. Nah, and look, I think if you're lean, you're going to be metabolically flexible. I think that's the biggest thing. Yes. It's like if you if you're more insulin resistant because you're overweight and you don't move, like you're going to have trouble burning carbs, but that's because mm. you're fat and you don't move. Yeah. Mm. Like if you're active and you're, and you're moving around, it's yeah. fine. Hence the application for endurance athletes. Yeah. If, so if, endurance if athletes, the idea is that, okay, if we're going to the point where we're running so far that we're going to burn through all of our glycogen stores, maybe it's a good idea to be able to switch to fat and still be reasonably efficient at using that. Mm. So that's a reasonable application for something like that where you might train train low as they say some days where you yep. know you've got very little carbohydrate in the tank yep. um but on the whole um yes metabolic flexibility is an important thing but mm. how much do we really need to manipulate it with diet probably not that much mm. like and the, and the leaner more efficient you are yeah you're just going to be flexible anyway yeah like exactly. it, it wouldn't have much application with a physique athlete that has a ton of muscle mass look i don't think so and you're not you're, what you're doing is you're going into the gym for like one or two hours where you're lifting weights. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're not you're not running an endurance race where it's like, oh, I've got to be able to sprint up a hill, but then also maintain a good pace for like an hour. And then, you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. You're training in the gym, you're more or less using one energy system. Yeah. It's not for that long. You're not going to burn yeah. through all of your muscle glycogen in a gym session. Yep. So. Okay. Very cool. Mate, this just remind me, we'll take a tangent here. And if, if, if uh, I don't want to get you too riled up, Luke, but I am. Um, <laughs> Go on, get him. Uh, rip the shirt off. <laughs> you will, uh, and a lot of our listeners will know a fairly well-known neuroscientist and author, Sam Harris, mm. who, who makes a lot mm. of really well-constructed argument across broad topics and, yes. and all, all sorts <laughs> of things. On. But I listened to one of his podcasts the other day with Gary Torbs. Oh, no. uh, oh <laughs> Hey, that's I, a... Has he done one with Gary? He he has done one with Gary. It's worth having a listen, mate. And at one point, I'm not sure if we give the backstory or whatever it is, but actually twice in it, he did ask him the question, but but surely, Gary, what happens if if a person eats 15,000 calories of just steak and eggs? Isn't that going to cause... And and it was amazing because he just didn't satisfactorily answer that question. Yeah, well, he can't. He he, he (laughs) sort of moved it into another area. Mm. So elaborate on that. So the the whole concept there is avoid So Gary Torbs is a a science writer. He's written a number of books. Uh, Is it uh, Sugar Makes You Fat or... Uh, Good Calories, Bad Calories. Good Calories, Bad Calories. And then, yeah, something like Um, Sugar Makes You Fat or something like that. And his pitch is... His yeah, pit- why we get fat and what to do about yes, it. Yes, yeah. why we get fat and what to do about it. And his pitch is low carbohydrate, high mm. fat, sugar, insulin, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, if you if you actually sat and listened to it, he's, mm. he's, quite, he's quite strident in mm. his stance on high fat. And it was only that I you had referenced him in the past, Luke, at, at our first Many se- times. <laughs> seminar <laughs> and had your little rant that I listened to it. And, and I was quite taken back with his stance. Well, you, on you know, he was one of the first, Tom. And mm, yeah. you know, he, he, he uh, gumming up the Krebs cycle even back then, you know, <laughs> yeah, he was exactly. on the fats and, uh, you know, working that pathway. But 
Yeah, fascinating. I know. Uh, I know it sort of gets oh, Luki. Uh, look at he's, he's got a clenched um, fist on know, the table. Now. Gen- I'm white knuckled at the moment. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was chilled a second ago. Yeah. Oh, red it's flag to a ball. Really interesting. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, someone like Sam can pick apart his logic pretty pretty easily. I think. Whereas if you just go on to pro low carb podcasts and spruik yes. his stuff, and they just sit there going, "Oh wow, yeah, you're really makes smart. perfect sense." Yeah. Mm. You know, like unfortunately, uh, people get sucked in by that. Uh, mm. Another one of those recognize that what would you put it when you recognize the bullshit or something bullshit detector yeah for sure one of those situations exactly right exactly right very good All right. All right, mate. Uh, well, Lucid, thanks once thank again. you once again. Yeah, and, and what's uh, what's happening in your world? So you've got mm. your PT and Upskill page that yeah, you know, so anyone a, can jump on there. What yeah, else? Yeah, there's a Facebook group called PT Upskill and Education that you can yep. jump on. Just request there. It's just a couple of questions you've got to answer mm. uh, so I don't get all the spammers in there. So it's a good group. Yep. Um, and then... And also good feedback on that group. A lot of guys will get on there yeah. and say, hey, man, I like him. And you moderate it. You know, you'll, yep. you'll nip it in the bud if someone uh, gets on there and posts inappropriately. So yeah, definitely. Pretty so, good content yeah so it's good uh really good group of people there um and then yeah i, I teach physiology uh to personal trainers so that they can upgrade their bullshit detector yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so if you're if you're sort of interested in that i kind of do intakes i've just expanded it to 12 months now yes, uh, with another good. module on exercise physiology which will be uh very exciting so um so that's like an education mentorship through through yourself it is yeah so i teach you basically all the physiology that i think is relevant for personal trainers so you can go through and and you know any information you come across you can kind of pick it apart and go oh mm. yeah well that makes sense that doesn't yep. um and so that all applies back into training and nutrition which is pretty cool very exciting what, we'll, right. what we'll do Rodin, is we'll mm. just get him in here regularly and we'll just we'll, we'll go, we'll we'll go through it. all of that content yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll yeah. you yeah. made notes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. good yeah. good yeah very good easy all right absolute pleasure as always luke um i look forward to chatting again soon awesome yeah. thanks, thanks for your time mate cheers Groundskeeper Willie, always such a pleasure to have mm. him the part of the program. Rorden, now, for those who want to get in contact with Luke, probably the easiest way is just to Google, go LukeTullock.com. Mm. He's doing big things in the uh, in the industry since we, I mean, he was then when we had him on the in the studio, but he has... Uh... Oh, no, no, no. It's all because of us. <laughs> Look at Dan Gardner, yeah, yeah. Jordan Shallow, you know, they all... Brewery Chavans, they're all, you know, massive because, uh, because you know, they came on the Under the Bar podcast, clearly. <laughs> so, He's doing so amazing he, things, you're right. Yeah, he referenced a number of interesting things during that study. I thought at the end there about the metabolic flexibility, the point of applying that to endurance athletes because really they're the only demographic that's going to need to be able to, performing for such a long period of time that they've exhausted all glycogen stores and need to be able mm. to metabolize fat efficiently for energy. It just uh, more common sense breakdown from groundskeeper Willie. Yeah, I mean, as if you'd want to do that anyway. But yeah, look, maybe that environment, endurance, yeah. athletes, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, ooh, you know, it's a sh- shiver down my spine. You know, like yeah. someone, someone did a little something on my grave. You know, it's just like ooh, something <laughs> happened there. <laughs> you know, it's like ooh, I yeah. felt that. You know? <laughs> but um, you know, each their own. Each That's their right. own. The, the cardiovascular system is probably far more uh, robust and comprehensive compared to mine. But um, it is what it is. All right, that has been another episode of Under the Bar. If someone wants coaching from you, Rawdon, where do they find you? Mate, I'll be down at the park, Prince Alfred Park. <laughs> Come on down. I've got some kettlebells. Yeah. I've uh, got some bands and um, a dead ball. We can throw it and have some fun. But, yeah, just hit me up on uh, if you would like me to be involved with what you're doing. 
uh, Instagram, uh, the Dubai Method, or Facebook, or just hit me up, Rod Dubois. <laughs> I will uh, respond to everyone. And if you come and buy me coffee, I'm in Surrey Hills. I'm yes, yours. I'll, very I'll well. coach you for free if you, uh, well, I won't get you free, but I'll let you buy me coffee. Very, very good. Well, if people, if you can't find me in the uh, Gore Hill Cemetery, then <laughs> maybe search yeah. uh, tombewitt.com.au. Yeah. Send me an well, email. Well, that's been well, the show. Uh, have a great week and um, stay COVID free. Yep, yep. Kelvin. Kelvin. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition, liftoff.